if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to John chapter 6, the, the shortest Sunday with all that stuff going on for Bible study, and the longest chapter in the, in the Gospel of John. If you'll remember last week, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little boy's Lunchable, with a few fish and a few loaves, and Jesus multiplied them. And we know that that miracle was, um, they only listed the men in, uh, the men in that 5,000. So not counting the women and children, could have been a group up to the size of 20,000. Jesus set them down in groups, and he began to multiply the fish and the loaves and feed this group of people. It's the only miracle that's um, listed in all four Gospels and recorded in all four Gospels. So the Holy Spirit wants us to know of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so he leaves that, that, that crowd. And obviously, you know, you have a crowd of 20,000 that is following Jesus. Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been speaking. And he's getting very popular. And many people are coming to him. And then on this particular day, they had traveled, and they were tired, and there wasn't time for them to go into the markets and get food. And so Jesus met their physical needs after he fed them spiritually. And he set them down in groups, and he began to feed them. So that's kind of where we left off last week. And then Jesus walked on the water. You know that story, again, listed in the other Gospels. And then it brings us to verse number 22. Um, and it says, On the following day, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, they saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus did not enter the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone alone. However, the other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So there's this group of people, and Jesus disappeared, in, 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 and he sent the disciples on a boat, and he walked out to the water, on the water. Jesus walked on the water on the boat, and so... We'll be there um, next year in February. We're going to Israel. If anybody would like to join us, the trip is open for sign-ups. There's um, brochures on the, on the table. It's a life-changing trip. And the thing about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. Where we stay in Tiberias, you can see across to the other side. The long way, it gets a little kind of, kind of clouded, but you can see all the way across. It's called a sea, but it's just a lake, 8 miles by 13 miles. But there still would be waves and, and, and when a wind arises and storms in these little boats that made it very difficult. And so Jesus walks out to the boat on the water and the people that were there that he fed the last day, they're like doing all this investigative work. They're checking the boats and looking for him. They can't find him. They know the disciples went over, but he wasn't with them. And so they, they really want to find him. And then in verse 24, it says, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, so they looked, they said, oh, he's not here. They got into a boat, and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Capernaum is called the city of Jesus. Again, when we're in Israel, we'll stand in front of the city of Capernaum where Jesus, where Peter's house is. And this is um, archaeological fact. This is the place where Peter lived, and they built a church over it. It's on steeples, and the ruins are underneath there. And as you enter Capernaum, there's a sign. I always take a picture in front of it. It says, the city of Jesus. Because Jesus made his headquarters in Capernaum. And as he traveled, that's where he spent most of his time around the Sea of Galilee. And so he was there in Capernaum. And the, and, and the people were seeking him. The end of verse 24. And then in 25, it says, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And so they're like, finally we found you as they tracked him down. Now Jesus is not going to answer their question. You know what's interesting about Jesus? Fascinating. He never answers the question that come out of people's mouth. Do you notice that when you read the gospel? Here they're going to say, when did you get here? It's kind of a strange question, right? Like, maybe they, maybe they would have said like, hey, we were looking everywhere for you. Where'd you go? I guess it's kind of the same idea. When did you get here? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, I got here about an hour ago. No, he didn't say that, right? He said, seek me. You seek me not because you see the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. This is a gift of, of, of prophecy, of words of knowledge, of words of wisdom. With Jesus, obviously, being God and divine, he had it in spades. And that's why when, when people would ask Jesus a question, he would look past what was coming out of their mouth, and he would see their heart. You know, the Bible says that the gift of prophecy is to be desired because, you know, for us as believers, it's one of the ways that we really can be used to encourage other believers, where, where maybe you don't even hear what's coming out of their mouth, but you can see their heart. And sometimes what's coming out of somebody's mouth is frustration or anger. And if we can see past what's coming out of their mouth to try to hear their heart, we'll, we'll, we'll do, be so much more like Christ in our ability to love them and prophesy. And then if the Lord just gives you a word and just speaks something to your heart about, you know, what they're going through. And so Jesus knew what people were going through. And he knew what was in their heart. And again, he gives us that ability in seasons and times. And it's something we would desire and seek. You know, anybody ever meet somebody with a gift of prophecy? They could just speak into your life certain things. And anyways, Jesus was that way. And so he's speaking to them. And now immediately, Jesus is going to call out the elephant in the room with this crowd. They came yesterday. He fed them. He did miracles. It was exciting. They come back. They're looking all over for him. They're there on day two. And they show up. And they're like, okay, you, you multiplied the fish and the loaves yesterday. What are you going to do today, Bible guy? You going to dance? Are you going to do more miracles? Are you going to give us more food? Are you going to make steak today? Are you going to make quail fly at our knees so we can knock them down? And Jesus said, listen, you did seek me, and you went all over looking for me, but you're seeking me for the wrong reason. But in verse 26, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And then Jesus is going to say in verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everybody everlasting life 17 times in the gospel of john john says everlasting life it's the very theme of the gospel of john well it's believe right we read it over and over again we start john in 20 where he says i write so that you might believe and john says here that you would have everlasting life 17 times in this chapter alone four times jesus himself is going to say everlasting life everlasting life that he offers you everlasting life and so for these folks um he he's going to use a contrast between physical bread and spiritual things now one of the themes again in your bible is that jesus is oftentimes talking about spiritual things but the people can only hear fleshly things they can only hear natural things you remember nicodemus he told nicodemus you must be born again and what did nicodemus hear yeah, he's like, am I going to crawl back in my mother's womb? And he was being sincere. He didn't get it. He had no idea that Jesus was talking. You and I have context today to understand the, the concept of being born again. But Nicodemus was still only hearing the natural. He came to the woman at the well, Jesus did, and he said, if you drink of the water that I give, you will never thirst again. And what did the woman say? She said, give me some of this powerful Gatorade. Wow, wow, if you give me that water, I won't have to. She was hearing only the natural. And so, again, Jesus is here in this story is the same idea. He's going to be speaking to them about spiritual things, and they're only going to hear in the natural. The Bible says of itself that it's spiritually discerned. The Bible says that, that it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that as we read the Word of God, it makes it come alive in our hearts and our lives. That we understand because the God is the one who teaches, and God is the one who speaks. 
And, you know, today we have the context, and we, we can hear some of these things spiritually, but they just didn't hear it. They only heard the physical. Jesus is going to say in this chapter that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and they're going to freak out. Even, even today, when we know the context, we're like, that seems a little strange. But they would only hear the natural. You know, the, the pirate saying goes, dead men tell no tales. Well, biblically, there's two types of people. There's people that are dead in Christ and alive in Christ. There's ain'ts and there's saints. And if you're dead in Christ or you're not alive in Christ, then you don't read well. You don't understand well. The Holy Spirit begins to convict your heart. and You know some of the things of the Lord because the Holy Spirit is allowing it. But until you believe, you, you don't fully get it. You don't fully understand. And so many of us get stuck. And maybe you're here today and you're stuck in that place where you, you want to understand everything so you can believe. But I'm sorry that the, the Bible, if it was me, I would have given that luxury too. But just kidding. But the Bible doesn't give you that luxury, nor does God. He insists in his word over and over again that you first must believe. And when you believe, then you will fully understand. Then you will fully um, be revealed to you. And that, that it's required to put our faith first. And so these folks just were unwilling to do that. They wanted to fight more. They wanted to ask more questions so they could intellectually understand. And Jesus knows what's in all men. He told us that in John chapter 2, and he didn't commit himself to it. And he knows that it doesn't matter how, many, how much you argue. It doesn't matter how much you argue with folks. It doesn't matter how much you think intellectually you have an argument that proves your point. It, it, it's not going to change somebody's heart until they're ready to believe. And it's a matter of faith. And so Jesus is dealing with this here in this chapter. And first he contrasts these two things to labor from food, which perishes. The Greek is, is perishing or constantly perishing, continually perishing. But for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. And then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God. So typical of, the, of us, right, of people, of religion. Their question is, okay, they're, they're, they're maybe like, okay, we, we're starting to hear you. So what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus' answer is really phenomenal because, you know, maybe the, you know, on the onset, if I ask you that question, what must you do to do the works of God? You think of, like, works things. You go to church, you tithe, you serve, you you know, you do things, those are things that you do, that's work. And they asked, well, what must we do to do the work? And Jesus answered in verse 29, and he said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. The work of God is to believe. It's so counterintuitive. You know, in Christ, in a relationship with Jesus, as your, as your Savior, being born again, is the only concept it's the only religion it's the only system in the world that that you just are believe and you're saved in every concept i could pick on any one of them i could pick on um, muslims and catholics and jehovah witnesses and lds and any denomination any church the idea is there there's there's something you have to do to do the works you know i, I give this analogy you guys have heard it already but if we're in an airplane and and the airplane is going down and the airplane is going to crash and everybody on the airplane is going to die I always tease, I say, you know, you better hope you're sitting next to me. Because if you're sitting next to a Muslim, I don't know if you're going to be able to do all the things you need to do before the plane hits the ground to get saved. If you're sitting next to X, Y, and Z, there's so many things. But if you're sitting next to me, you're all right. Because I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to read this verse to you. I'm going to read Romans 10, 9 and 10, Acts 16, 31, John 15, 5, says all the same things. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
And what's your response? What's the world's response? Oh, that's too simple. No way. Can't be true. You know, and then what they say is they say, oh, that's sloppy agape. You know, you just say a prayer. Now, listen, I want to be careful. Believe has a definition. There's a bomb under your chair. None of you believe me. If you did, you would have got up and ran out of here. Or you would have threw your neighbor on it. <laughs> your wife, maybe, your husband, I don't know. If, if we believe in something, there's an action that follows. There's, there's, there's a lifestyle that follows. And so to believe in Jesus, there's a cost in discipleship. But it starts somewhere, and it starts by you putting your faith in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And it is that simple. And, it, and it's not sloppy agape. And we don't believe in not doing works because we believe in grace. James said, with, um, faith without works is dead. But the, the issue is that the works come after the faith, not the other way around. All of religion is trying to work to please God. But God, that's not the way it works. God is already pleased with you. God already is madly in love with you. God already sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and raise again the third day. He thinks good thoughts about you every second of your life. Some mathematician took a couple Bible verses and he put them together and he said that God thinks, because the Bible says that God thinks thoughts towards you as the numbers of the sand of the sea. And so some mathematician said that would be seven thoughts every second of your life. So for every second of your life, God just thought seven good thoughts about you. 14, 21, 28. That's what the Bible says. He loves you. He's madly in love with you. He can't love you any more or any less. He's already in love with us. And as a result of responding to God's love, what does it naturally make us want to do? Serve and do good works and work and do those things. And they said, what must we do? To do the work of God. And Jesus just, just laid it out. You don't do anything. You believe. And then once you believe, you know, Jesus was approached and he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Now you think, these guys who would come with these questions in the Bible, the Pharisees and stuff, like, they worked hard on, on these questions. Like, they weren't just fly by the seat of their pants. Like, they had panels and lawyers and groups and because they already tried and Jesus just beat them down so, you know, intellectually so fast they just... They, they, so they, they came, when, they, when they came, they, they came correct, and they took their time. So they came to Jesus, and they had a legitimate question that was going to trap him. What is the greatest commandment? You know, we think of the Ten Commandments. The Jews don't think of the Ten Commandments. They think of the 613 laws of Moses that they've codified to be able to understand and follow the Mos law of Moses. But even just the Ten Commandments. What if Jesus says, do not lie? Well, then what about do not steal? And what if Jesus